0: This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru.
1: He really wanted her to have range, and he made me pull it all out. I tell you, <laughs> he
0: pulled out all the stops. <laughs> There's nothing Kiki Palmer can't do, and director Jordan Peele knew that. Welcome, everyone. I'm so thrilled to welcome the multi-talented, funny, and smart Kiki Palmer to the show. Kiki is a Hollywood veteran. She's been acting since she was 10. In 2006, she starred in Aquila and the Bee alongside veteran actors Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne. She's starred on Disney, Nickelodeon. She's had her own talk shows, won awards, played Cinderella on Broadway. She has a singing career. She just recently starred in the Jennifer Lopez hit Hustlers. She was a voice in Lightyear. And now she's wowing critics in Jordan Peele's horror thriller Nope. Plus, she's a viral meme queen and a master of social media. There are many themes in Peele's Nope. One is the horrors of Hollywood fame and filmmaking. The role was specifically written for Palmer, and she herself says in our conversation how she started to realize how Nope's super interesting meta themes about getting swallowed up by fame or by the spectacle, you'll get it when you see the movie, was something that she really knew something about. In Nope, Kiki Palmer plays Emerald. She and her brother OJ, played by Daniel Kaluuya, run a horse ranch with horses they train for Hollywood productions. They discover something sinister in the skies above their ranch, and they're determined to film it to get the money shot, or the Oprah shot, as they call it. The movie also features a tragic and scary story about a sitcom child star, a cinematographer ready to give up everything for that perfect shot, references to Jaws and other legendary cinema, and of course, many terrifying jump scares.
2: You think whatever killed Pops is out there? What did
1: you see?
0: It's big. It's in the cloud. Kiki Palmer, I'm so happy to meet you. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Wonderful to meet you. So, um, congrats on this incredible movie. I've always been fascinated by the decisions that characters make in horror movies. Now, when you were reading the script, did you like go, well, Mr. Peel, maybe they should just leave. <laughs> you know
1: what, yeah, there's always, you know, the, the real part of you is like, man, if I were these people, I would just leave. <laughs> But then, of course, you know, like like in any good horror film, they have reasons as to why they would care, you know. And for these characters, it's the ranch, the legacy of the ranch, and trying to maintain, uh, you know, their legacy and their, you know, within their family.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot of tropes about female characters in horror film. In what way is Emerald different to the genre?
1: Well, you know, I think Emerald's different in so many ways. Um, one thing I love about her character uh, is that. There's nothing really sexualized about her, um, which I think is something that obviously often happens, uh, you know, in horror, in horror films. oh is... well, yeah, they're running around in the bra and... <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so she's not sexualized, although I do think that she's beautiful. I'm not saying that's because it's me, but I think that there's a beauty and a charm in the character just as she's written um, that doesn't have to do with her body, but has to do with uh, her personality um, and the choices that she makes that kind of, you know, make you fall in love with her along the way. And also I think that she, you know, she has humor. You know what I mean? She's Goes from being what you would consider the, the jester archetype to kind of, you know, aligning a little bit more with the orphan archetype. And, and obviously, you, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but her growth and her transition is so, it has so much range. And that's not something I, I not only see often in horror films, but I don't see in films in general. Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two-second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is mine. Great, great grandfather. Great. There's another great grandfather. But that's why, back at the Haywood Ranch, as the only black owned horse trainers in Hollywood, we like to say since the moment pitches could move,
0: yeah, skin in the gang. A very strong narrative for me in the film is how Hollywood can swallow you up and spit you out, so to speak. The difficulty yes. of being a child star and that fame monster. You've been working in this industry for 20 years now and you you master it all. You're like the Da Vinci Palmer. Um, how have you maneuvered the fame beast since you were a kid? You know, it's so crazy and, and, and insane for you to,
1: for me, while working on the movie, I really was just focused on my character. It wasn't until after uh, you know watching the movie as a whole and and obviously having the conversations that Jordan you know inspired you to have after watching his films, amongst other people where I really started to see that that glaring theme in this kind of like meta ironic way with me playing you know Emerald um, and, and what she experiences from beginning to end and kind of overcoming her fears and overcoming um, her battle with with attention. Uh, and for me, I think it's quite similar. I think in this industry, uh, there's so many things that always try to make you feed into the beast of fame, um, and it's so important to stay focused on what it is you truly love, and, you know, which is the art, um, and not allow the the industry of entertainment to kind of overpower that and, and kind of having you chase your tail in a lot of ways. So I think for me, the, the main thing I did was always kind of just stay close to my family and stay close to the truth of why I got started, which was not because I cared to be popular or because, you know, I needed this particular accolade, but because I just always wanted to act. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, you know, we put so much emphasis on outside validation when it comes to the things that we want to do in life, whether it be being a performer or being a teacher or being a doctor or being a lawyer, you know, the outcome of of how other people feel about it usually has so much to do with it. um, When I think the real emphasis are, are just can I, did I help somebody? Did I, did I make an impact uh, to just the few people that did see? And so I think, for me, that's always been the main thing is, like, am I working? Am I being able to perform, which is already such a hard thing to do as an actor, is to, to get a job and be able to pay your bills. Um, and so that's what I always just chose to be grateful about.
0: And you were so young and things are so different now. I mean, especially with social media, I'm thinking of the greats that you've worked with from Angela Bassett to Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, I don't think they were had to deal so much with that social media presence and always being on film. Um, how do you do that to not go crazy? It's a hard balance,
1: because I think to your point, like, it's there's something beautiful about not having to have people like you know feed, you know feeding that or feeling like you need to feed that there's one thing if it's natural to you which i do think a part of my personality is natural to be able to immediately perform in the moment that I want to perform, but to make sure that it's coming from an authentic place, you know, measuring that balance is something that you consciously have to be—that's something that you constantly have to be cautious of, uh, because it's so easy to kind of fall into the wormhole of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but then on the other end of it, it's—it's—it's it's it's been great for me in terms of not having to be so stagnant in terms of the traditional sense. You know, when I think about hustlers or the opportunities that I got after you know being a child entertainer uh, so many more of my opportunities came from people seeing my personality my comedy my sketches on social media so in so many ways I feel grateful in my generation to have had that uh, because you know when used to focus on creating and producing your own work you, you kind of are able to like break the mold uh, you know and break kind of the, the chains that traditional entertainment can put you in
0: Now, I understand that this role, um, Jordan Peele wrote it specifically for you.
2: I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation.
0: did he want the Kiki Palmer that he wanted in this role? Man, I think, you know, from talking to Jordan,
1: I think what he wanted most was the range. Um, I think, you know, throughout my career, I've played, you know, I've done sitcoms, you know, different types of comedy, sketch comedy, did drama, you know, very early on with The Killing the Bee and the Wool Cap, and, um, you know, Pimp, which was some of my m- more recent work. I mean, not that recent, but definitely in my adult years. Um, and so I think he was trying to capture, you know, to your point, you know, the multi-hyphenate aspect of, of me as an entertainer um, mm-hmm. in this one character. Um, he really wanted her to have range, and he made me pull it all out. I tell you,
0: <laughs> he pulled out all to stop. <laughs> and you did. Also, in his movies, there's always relevant connections to what we're going through in society in, in his incredibly entertaining way of putting them in there. How did this movie speak to you in that sense?
1: Man, I think you've said so much of it. it. You know, from the, you know, kind of the exploration of this degenerate industry and and the people it chews up and spits out to how we become attracted to what we think is 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 a miracle, but really it's a bad miracle. You know, I think, you know, when you look at fame, if if we are considering this spectacle in this film to be fame or popularity or just getting and gaining attention, that is not always what you expect it to be when you actually achieve that, you know what I mean? when your focus is just basically on being um you know being something to talk about you know and not really of anything of substance, then you know really what what's really being said, you know what i mean what how how what does that really do for you in your life? how does that affect you? what is it? What does that do to you as the subject uh, that's being viewed? Um, the the violence of being viewed or viewing—all of those things kind of rang, rang true to me. And, and you know, it, it, that's the horror. The horror is that we we constantly always need to see things, and, and in order for them to be true, no matter how terrible they are. You know, we've seen that from from racially to politically
0: to—I mm-hmm. mean, across the board. You know what I mean? It's not true until you see it. And to your point also that there's a strong theme of erasure too. Yeah. Yeah. I think he speaks so much to that as well. I want to talk a little bit about the production itself. These incredibly scary jump scare scenes. What was that like to film? (laughs) How How did he work with you? There's something out here.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. No, no, no. He is so great with the actors. Um, you know, he would scare us too. You know what I mean? He would kind of have this moment where he would like make us stall out until the moment where we react, and and we don't know when it's coming. You know, and it's all so intense. Everything is so intense. You know what I mean? He walks you through the emotion of every scene, and it, you know, again, as an actor, we, we're going all in, and it's just like. We're just building up to this moment and we don't know when he's going to allow us to to breathe again. So we just keep working it and working it and intensifying and intensifying and then it's just like, bah! you know, it, it's just spooky. It literally is spooky. How you're... did he scare you? So like, for instance, we would be shooting this one scene where we we're looking out the window, my character and Brandon Perea's character, um, Angel. And we're like trying to figure out how we're going to get out the house because we're realizing that, okay, we're being watched by the spectacle and we want to, you know, try to, f- figure out if we can get outside. So we're looking out the window, trying to see if we can spot OJ. And Jordan's like, you, you guys are at the door, you know, and then you don't know what's gonna gonna happen. You know, and he's walking us through and he's like, just stand there, wait for it. Just, just you don't even know. You're just trying to see what you you know, he's building up, <laughs> building up. And then we're just still working through it. And we're waiting for him to, to yell cut. We're like, he's gonna yell cut at some point, but we're gonna keep performing our hearts out. And then we watching, we watching, it, watching. Horse through the window. And we're like, we just literally shatter. And it's that, it's that scene where the horse, sh- you know, jump yeah. through the window. And we, me and Brandon were literally so spooked. We we're like, first we were like, ah, you know, we go crazy. And then we kind of laugh because we're like, how? what expression is that? You know, it gets to these kind of yeah. heightened points where you're kind of like, what would I eat? How do you even perform that reaction? You know, it's
0: just kind of, it just gets so intense. And I also have this feeling that that there's lots of sort of nerds on that. Jordan Peele, he knows everything about the movies. There's all these references to Psycho and Jaws. And I've spoken a few times to your cinematographer, van Hoytema, who knows, like, the lens in this one. And what is it like working with this community of people who knows everything about? Girl, it was so cool. I was filming them the entire time,
1: like, just, you know, trying to film tidbits of their collaboration and how they were working together. I think one of the coolest relationships that you can see on set is between the director and his cinematographer. Um, or their cinematographer, uh, because they just, you know, it, it's different from their relationship with the actors, but it's it's just as intimate because they are, you know, all, the, the film, the way that the movie is filmed is just as much of a character as any of the characters in the in the story. So watching them talk and, and watching, you know, how Hoyta would interpret the feeling and the emotion uh, that Jordan was wanting to display, it was just it was just awesome. And also them taking their time, I think, you know, when you think about a movie of this scale. Um, and being able to shoot something at the scale, the, the most expensive thing that you need is time. You know, a lot of times, you know, Hoyte would be waiting for the sun to get into a particular position. You know what I mean? Waiting for it, it to hit just right. Uh, you know, similarly to Antler's uh in, in the movie mm-hmm. when he's trying to capture the perfect shot. So watching that and seeing their patience. I wonder
0: what Hoyte thinks about that comparison to Antler's I know, I know, right? Exactly,
1: yeah. He's definitely much kinder. <laughs> but, but, but you know, just always the,
0: the what it takes, you know, what it takes to get a perfect shot. I don't have a lot of time left, but I really want to ask you about the names. Um, Going back to our discussion about this being sort of a Hollywood meta, OJ and Emerald. To me, they feel very pop cultural. Is that something that was spoken about? I think so. I mean, I didn't ask specifically, but when you just think
1: about it, OJ that whole storyline was one of the yeah. hugest yeah. spectacles in the world. Um, and I think that that's definitely no coincidence. And and as it pertains to Emerald, you know, you reference Jaws. I think like when you think about Jaws and the, and the lead character of Jaws is, you know, his journey from the beginning, being afraid of water, you know, not really knowing, you know, mm-hmm. what, what was out there. And, and then in the end, getting to this point where he wrangles and, you know, pretty much triumphs over over against this huge shark. I think in a lot of ways you know, Emerald is in her own way you know, following her yellow brick road and trying to fee- see what the meaning of life
0: uh, is yeah, for her. Yeah, very Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I think there's yeah. there's elements of that of just about her trying to find her way. Trying to overcome her relation to wanting to be seen and, and what it really would mean for her to be seen and ultimately overcoming her fear of not necessarily feeling a part of anything uh, though she has a uh, such a big legacy that she is a part of. I think that there's a part of her that didn't feel a part of it or didn't feel validated in that. And so a lot of what she was seeking was outward until she reaches the point of realizing that she didn't need to be seen by the whole world. She just needed to be seen by the ones that mattered the most.
0: Yeah, which seems to be something you're very good at. Um, They want me to wrap and I'm so thrilled I got the chance to talk to you, Ms. Palmer. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Don't miss Kiki Palmer in Nope, in theaters. And thank you so much for joining us on Pop Culture Confidential. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.